So today we're going to talk in 1 Thessalonians. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you may want to get your Bibles out to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. All about the church. And I'm going to read the, the first chapter. It's only 10 verses. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we, provide, we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded from forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Well, here we are at the last Sunday of the year. And in four short days, we'll be bringing in 2016. And I know that, you know, we all celebrate these events at different ways and different times. We have traditions. I believe the youth here are doing an all-night event. Uh, I used to love those all-night events, but I found that I don't do so well with them anymore. So uh, I won't be doing an all-night event. Um, but one of the traditions I grew up with, and I don't, you know, traditions are funny how they're not meant to be started that way sometimes, but they just develop into those things. As kids, um, my sister and I, on New Year's, as soon as we'd always watch that countdown, right? And as soon as New Year's, as soon as midnight struck, we were ready. We had already raided the cabinets and got mom's pots and pans and our wooden spoons and we would run outside on the porch, beating the bottom of that pot and pan as hard as we could and make it as loud as we could, screaming at the top of our lungs, Happy New Year! For like 30 seconds. And then it was quiet. And then I was in bed sleeping. But mom let us do that. Now I can see later in life all the dents that were in her pots and pans from us doing that. But, you know, that was okay. So that was one of our traditions, and one of the things that um, even today, sometimes when, if we're home and not somewhere, I'll let the, our kids, when they were younger, do that, and Trent will still do that. I'll still do it if he does it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we all have these different celebrations that we do. And of course, at New Year's, there's also something else that we all, well, not all, but many of us tend to do, and that is the New Year's Resolution. You know, the New Year's resolution that we had these great intentions to, uh, to do, we start out with all that gusto, and a month into it, or less, it seems to fall away, right? Well, 
I stopped doing my New Year's resolutions because I never stuck to them. But I did start doing something a little different. And that was uh, taking a verse from the Bible and writing it out and then having it in different places. So all year, as it would come to mind or I would see it, I would concentrate on this verse and how it applies to my life and try to live out this verse a little bit more. Last year, I used um, Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. That's not easy to do at times. Because sometimes you want to speak the truth just to point out the truth, right? It's not for the benefit of the other person. Not in love. So, uh, so that was my, my mission this year, this past year, is speaking the truth in love and trying to uh, make sure that I, I did that. No, I didn't always do it, but I worked hard at it. Well, this year I have a new verse. And it comes from what we just read in 1 Thessalonians. And it's verse 9. Uh, and it's the second part of that verse 9 about their, their test. For, for they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you and how what? You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. To turn to God, to turn from idols to serve the living and true God. Well, we don't have idols. Yes, we do, right? It's not the same idols they had. We still, as Christians, have idols in our life that we need to deal with. I have things in my life that I have to be careful that I don't allow to come in front of God. And those are some of the reasons why I am trying to apply this verse to my life this year. My challenge to you today is for you to take up the challenge of this verse for 2016. That you will be more determined to turn to God from any idols for the purpose to serve the living and true God. So let's look at this verses here in 1 Thessalonians and see the example of this church because uh, this was a young church. Um, they, they're called in verse 7 to be an example. It's the only where in the New Testament that a church is called out as the example to the other churches. So I think that's something we should take note of. Um, and that this is an interesting thing that he shares that they, not only in their local area, not only in their providence, but all around the world, all everywhere, they were this example and that they were known for what they stood for. Um, Paul was there. We could, we could turn if we had time, but we don't have time to go back to uh, Acts 17 where we see the formation of this church. Uh, he was only there for about three weeks, but we know from uh, Acts 17.4 that uh, there was many, there was Jews that got saved. There were many Gentiles that saw it. There was even prominent women who got saved. The, it, it was an amazing thing that was going on. And so much was happening that the traditional Jews got stirred up about what this was, and they ran him off. And they came out, and he had to leave only three weeks in. But this church became so solid and came together. And Timothy was sent there to, uh, uh, to make sure that they were on the right path, and he comes back with a great report, and that's where we, we pick it up here, how well this church was doing and what he wants to say to them. 
And Paul tells them there's reasons for this. Um, I want us to notice the different ingredients of this church, the Thessalonian, this solid church that's supposed to be a pattern, and how it should affect us in 2016 or today. First, he tells them they had a solid foundation. The church, a church is called out for God, right? The church was called out, but it says in verse 1 that to the church of Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were placed in. Not only were they called out, but they were placed in. What were they placed in? They were placed in God and they were placed in Christ. It was their standing in Christ that will enable them. The standing in Christ, nothing the world could do to take them away from God. And they were undergirded with peace of God and grace of God. This peace of God is that, that eternal rest. And that grace of God, of course, is that unmerited favor that comes from God. That's the undergirding of this standing that they had in Christ. But in verse 2, Paul strengthens them in their foundation because he says that he is personally praying for them, faithfully praying for them. He couldn't be with them physically, but he knew the trials they were facing. He knew what the problems were. He was there. He understood their troubles, and he was praying for them. Because he was fully ensured that God would encourage them and help them be empowered to get through. You know, we are strengthened today, each one of us, when we pray for one another. Praying for one another in the church is very important. You know, here on Tuesday mornings at 10 o'clock, the elders who are available, we gather and we have a time of prayer for our ministry, for where we're heading, for um, the preaching, for the different ministries. Then we'll take the yellow cards and we'll divide them up and we pray through the needs that are made known through the yellow cards for the ministry. Why do we do that? Well, we know that there are people here with broken lives. We know that there are people here with physical afflictions. We know that there is spiritual warfare going on. And I know on Sunday morning... We hit that door, no matter what had happened that morning, the night before, or even on the car ride in, and all at once there's a smile on our face. How are you doing? I'm good. Are you? You know, we wear masks, right? Because we don't want people to know that we're hurting. Well, this is the place that we should be able to share those hurts. And have people come alongside and pray with us and encourage us and get with each other to really care. Now, I'm not saying that you need to air everything that you have, but we don't need to cover up because we all have issues. and We all have life problems and we need to know to pray for one another because Satan wants us just to be divided. He brings these trials and troubles along so that we won't be with one another. And they can even drive us to the point of not coming to church, not alone not sharing. That's Satan's goal. But here, they had much afflictions. They had 
issues that they had to go through. But they didn't go apart. They drew together. They were the example for us to follow. So the solid foundation was evidenced in their lives as well. And we see that in verse 3 where he says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He saw this in their life, their work of faith. A work of faith allows them to see the past, where they've come from. Labor of love allows them to see the present. And the steadfastness of hope is our look to the future. A work of faith is this life-changing encounter that happens with Jesus Christ. And I believe that any life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, where you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, will always result in works. We are not saved by works, but because of our salvation, we do works. We're saved unto works. And labor of love, love is what pays the price. Love is that blood, sweat, and tears. Love is that I'll do what it takes because I love. And when we love God, we truly love God. We are willing to sacrifice things in our own life, things of personal wants and desires to further the gospel, to do what God would have us do because we serve Him. And that steadfastness of hope is that that persistent endurance to get through. It is that resolute confidence that we're going to succeed, that triumphant fortitude, that dogged determination. That is that steadfastness of hope that they had. So Paul says this to the church, that you have a solid foundation, which is true for us today. We have a solid foundation. We need to remember that we are in Christ, and it is through Him that we will have the strength. Next, Paul says in verse 4, that they have a, number two, spiritual format. They have a spiritual format. And it says in verse 4, that for we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. It was not of their own. God chose them. And we understand that. And how that all works together, we get a little bit confused at times. But the Thessalonians were saved, so he used the word know, that they can know that we are saved. We can know that we are saved today. We can have that salvation that begins with God, that has God's love, and requires faith. What is that? That is that we understand the gift of salvation is Jesus Christ who came and died on the cross to pay the price for me, for my sins. That He is God's one and only Son and there is no other way to get to heaven. The world will tell us there's many ways to get to God and there's all the one God. It is not. There is one true living God and there is one way to be right with Him and that is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. It's not me saying it, it's God's Word saying it. And because of that, we need to accept who Jesus Christ is and believe that he, God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. If you confess your sins and believe in your heart 
you will be saved. And that encounter changes everything. That gospel that we have changes our eternal destiny. He chooses us, we believe. Salvation is all by grace, all of God, all the time. Now, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that should give you incredible confidence. The assurance of your salvation does not depend on you. It rests in God's choice of you. God's the creator and the sustainer and the preserver of your salvation. He loves you and he will remain loyal in his commitment to you. That is the spiritual format that was laid in the church. And then in verse 5, it continues. Because of our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Not only did God save them or God choose them, but God saved them. This spiritual format is powerful because it is the word of God. It's based on the promises of God. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But the spiritual format is powerful because it comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, my best sermon is nothing without the work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how intelligent I am and how organized I can lay out the sermon. It doesn't matter how elegant I could be. Thank the Lord for that. It's all about the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? God uses defective things. He uses you and me. And we, if we love God, are good enough for God. Did you know that? God loves you and you are good enough for God. A lot of times we'll shortchange ourselves. Well, I got to I got to fix this first or I, I got to do that first. And then then I'll I'll, I'll serve, start serving God or get more involved. You need to confess your sins, but God can use you as you are if you just trust him. God made you the way you are for a reason and he loves you the way that you are. So God's got to prepare the hearts to receive his word because God's salvation is powerful because when you're convicted of your sin, when you become to the point of realization that you're a sinner and you can't fix it, then you run to the cross. That's what our world needs. They need the gospel. They need the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit to convict them of sin So that they run to the cross. And that means we need to share that story. We need to let the world know the truth. As we'll see the Thessalonians did. The gospel changes lives. The gospel changes history. The gospel changes nations. It's one of the reasons I went to the Dominican Republic. Is to be able to partner with these other Christians 
and share the truth of the word to these pastors who are going to be taking it to their congregations and taking it to their neighborhoods. And as lives get impacted with the gospel and the truth and discipleship, it changes their lives. So they're going to change their atmosphere that they have personally, they're going to change the atmosphere of their church and start becoming vibrant and alive for God. And the church is going to change the atmosphere of their community by reaching those for Christ. And the community is going to change the whole nation. God's word is effective if people just accept it and receive it. And we need to be doing our part of that. Well, point three is Paul tells them in verse six that they have a steadfast fellowship, a steadfast fellowship. Verse six, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They were imitators of Paul. They were bound together now. Because of Christ, they were yoked. They were brothers, sisters in Christ. In the midst of living in enemy territory, under much affliction, under intense persecution, is what was happening in this church. And you say, well, how under all of that could they remain so strong in that fellowship? They did it with joy. That defies understanding, doesn't it? They did it with joy of the Holy Spirit. Well, it goes back to the formation, the format. It wasn't about Paul or how elegant Paul was or what Paul convinced them of. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit and their love for God drove them, no matter what was happening around them, no matter what was happening to them, They were going to be a light for Christ. They were going to share the truth and stand firm. They were not going to get distracted or turned away by what was happening all around them. See, Satan comes to divide and separate. And they were not going to be separated. They bound themselves together. That is an example for our church in our age, as we see our country more and more moving away from God and the pressures to compromise, we need to bind together and be strong in the things of the Lord. I know we have difficulties. I know we have problems. Satan wants us to not be together, but we need to take the example of this church and follow what God wants for us, and that is to have steadfast fellowship a fellowship of brothers and sisters who draw from each other's strengths you know I see it a, a devaluing of church happening what I see is even here at fellowship more and more we go to church less and less we're not going to some other church but I just don't come to church as often because there's all these other things going on So, uh, it's okay, though. I mean, I was there two times last month. Right? It used to be people would be at church six out of eight weeks. 
six out of seven weeks. Now they're four out of eight weeks on the average. Now, obviously, the week after Christmas, a few days after Christmas, you're here. So obviously, I'm not talking to you, right? But we know how that is. The devaluing of actually being together because Satan wants to divide us. Because when we pray for one another, when we know about what's happening in each other's lives, it empowers us and it strengthens us. We need the local church. There's a Christian rapper by the name of Triple E. Um, He doesn't like to be called a Christian rapper because he wants unsaved people to hear his music uh, because it does have the gospel in it most times. But he sat down and he talked about his realization of the local church. And I found this very motivational. And I'm going to share it with you today. As he's sitting behind a desk, it's just a short little two and a half minute video. Ben, will you go ahead and play that now, please? When I first began to follow Jesus, um, there were things that I began to understand well, you know, things I got really interested in, God's grace. Um, how big God was. I was reading books that showed me how big he was. I was real interested in God's attributes. Um, one of the things that took me a long time to fully understand was how central the church was to what God was doing. And so I talk to guys all the time who really say, hey, I really love Jesus. Uh, and I, I'll attend church because I like to hear good sermons, but their commitment to the local church isn't that that much. And you see that a lot even with college students. You know, college is kind of that age where you just kind of Float around in nothingness, almost like you're not a real person yet. You're trying to figure out what being a real person is, and you're gonna like train for almost like, hey, I'm not a doctor yet, I'm in medical school. Almost like, hey, you know, I'm just this is kind of my training stage, and I'll really get into it once I kind of move on to that next adult stage. And I wanna say, there is no good, healthy, regular pattern of the Christian life if you are not joined with a local church, if you're not in covenant with other Christians, not just I have some Christian friends who we talk to sometimes. I'm talking about the way that God set it out, that there are leaders that you submit to. There are other Christians you covenant to, to pray for and care for. There's actually something that other Christians can do to help you if you fall into unrepentant sin. All the beautiful mercies God has given us to gather together, sing together, sit under preaching together. That is huge uh, in the life of a Christian. And so we can't say, I've been adopted by God. He's my father. I'm glad he is, but I'm just going to ignore his people altogether. That that doesn't make any sense because if you're adopted in his family, you now have brothers and sisters. So when we become new Christians, uh, our identity changes as individuals, but also in another way, kind of corporately. So it's like when I got married, I remember sitting on the couch. I was like, man, life as I knew it is so different. I don't think of anything the same way. There's a very similar thing when we get saved is that we can't just think of things individually anymore. Because just like when I get married, now I'm one with another sinner. We have to wrestle with things together. When we trust Jesus, not only do we become one with Jesus, but we become one with his people. There's a unity that Jesus has already uh, won for us that we're now beginning to fight for. And so just like I can't just get married and then decide to just ignore my wife. It's like, what are you doing? In the same way, you can't just be adopted into a new family and just decide you're just going to ignore your brothers and sisters. It makes no sense. It's, it's illogical. So not only are you robbing them of the ways that you can edify them, you're robbing yourself of the ways that can edify you. It is core to what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, and so I encourage that man, young man strongly, do whatever you can to find a church that preaches God's word, that's centered around the gospel and where people want to fight to love him more. Amen. We need the church because we need each other. Well, they had a solid foundation. They had a spiritual format. They had a steadfast fellowship. 
And finally, four, they had a shared faith. In verse 8, we see that it says it sounded out like a trumpet. It was going out. What was? The Word of God. That's what was sounding out from them. Satan not only seeks to divide us, but he likes to detour us as well. Get us going down a road that we never thought we would get on and, and takes us to a path that we never thought we would go. They didn't get detoured or derailed. They, they weren't timid or intimidated. They shared the good news. Individually, they shared the good news. And corporately, they shared the good news. You know, this is still God's plan for us today. We need to share the good news. We need to do it individually as a church. We need to do it corporately as a church. You know, we'll, we'll have our Wild Beast Feast, which is an evangelistic outreach where we can invite people to. Um, some of you may know or may not be aware yet, but we're planning in October uh, to have Joe Gibbs at the Civic Center for Game Plan for Life, in which we need to fill up tables uh, with some unsaved friends to come and hear the gospel. Um, that's coming forward. Of course, our camps and all other things, many ways that you can be involved in corporately helping us share the gospel. You know that when you serve the church and you help, even in the background stages, you're helping the gospel go forward. You may not be the teacher. You may be the one in the resource room organizing the paper and, the, and those things. That's valuable because you're part of the system that is going forward. We need everybody to be involved. We need you to turn to God away from idols and to serve. That's what God wants from us. So what we see here is they, they didn't get detoured. But what they did have was the about face. And that's the key verse that I wanted us to really look at today or challenge you with today, as I mentioned, is they turned to God. How did this all happen? That's how it happened. God became number one to them. God was everything to them. They turned to God and trusted Him. Will you turn to God? Maybe you've never turn to God. Truly. Maybe you've come to church your whole life and you know the stories and you know what it says, but you never truly turn to God. Do it now. Turn to God. Yield your life to Him. Make Him the Lord and Master of your life. It's a life-changing encounter. But even many of us who have been saved, and many of us were saved for many years. Satan separates us sometimes. Satan derails us sometimes. We get these idols that pop up. We're bombarded with. And sometimes we don't even realize what we've done and allowed an idol to take us away from God. We need to evaluate our lives and make sure that we are turning from idols. Anything that will take us away from God. Because God needs to be number one. God has to be what we turn to. To change our lives. To change our community. To change our nation. And then it says they did this and they served. They were busy. 
They were serving the living and true God. What better thing to do than to serve the living and true God? To be part of God's plan. plan, To be part of what God is doing. There is no greater joy that you will ever have than to let God use you in some way. To be able to look back and say, that was awesome. What God did. He gets the glory. But He used you? You? I'm always amazed when I see God do something awesome that I got to be a part of in some way. No better thing than doing work for the Lord and serving Him. That's what we're called to do. (coughs) Excuse me. But also there's another thing in how they shared their faith. And that is verse 10. And they are to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. They were also waiting for Jesus. They were busy while they were waiting. They weren't just sitting around waiting. They weren't waiting for a sign. They were waiting for Jesus. That's where we are today, right? We're not waiting for a sign. We're waiting to be caught up together with Him in the air. Let me ask you a question. How would you feel if Jesus came right now? Don't answer. Hopefully most of you would say, yeah, come Lord Jesus. But I bet there were some of you who thought, oh, how about tomorrow or later tonight? I want him to come, but I want this first. What's first in your life? Answering that question is a way of evaluating where you are in your relationship with God. Come, Lord Jesus. That's what we should be at. We should be looking for God to come. You know why? Because when our attention is on God, when we are turning to God, we're not looking here. We're looking there. And that prevents us from comparing ourselves to others and putting idols in. That prevents us from judging other people because our focus is on God, not on what other people have or don't have or what other people are doing or not doing. We are to turn from the idols in our life, the things that distract us from God, and we are to serve while we are waiting for Jesus to come. How exciting it is to think that Christ could come at any moment, that there's nothing to delay what He has in store for us. There was a story of a of a young servant um, working in Italy in a garden. And a man was kind of walking around Italy and um, was there for a couple of weeks as he was touring around. And he walked by this, this, this river that was there and the mansion up on the hill and they had the stone gate in front of it. And so he walked up to the stone gate and he was brazen enough to push. The gate was unlocked and he opened and he looked up. So he walks up this path, this road, up to the house, which is gorgeous. The, the, the bushes were all trimmed immaculately. Everything was just set right. And he looks over and there was this man on his knees next to the shrubbery at the edge of the house. And he's with little clippers trimming things up and making everything just so nice. And he, he goes over to him and says, wow, uh, this is gorgeous. Uh, is it all right if I just kind of look around for a moment? The guy looks up at him and says, oh, yeah, it's wonderful. We don't get much many guests here. It'd be great. He goes, well, wow, is, is the owner home? I can talk to him? And says, 
No, no, he's away. He says, oh, really? Do you know when he's coming back? No, not really. Well, when's the last time you saw him? I guess it's been about 12 years. 12 years? You mean this place has been sitting empty for 12 years? Yeah, yeah. So how do you even know what to do? What, what do you want? Well, there's a management company down the road, and they, you know, they see that I get paid. And from time to time, there might be some projects that the owner tells me he wants done, and I'll get that word, and I'll just work on those things. And it says, "Wow, this place is amazing." I mean, it's as if you expect the owner to come back tomorrow. It says, "Oh, no, no, today." That's the expectation that we should have. And when we live with an expectation that Christ could come today, boy, how that will change how we act. Will that change the things that we are busy about doing and what the focus is on our life? Will you take the challenge with me today to turn to God away from idols and to serve God. Come see me. I got lots of places I can plug you in to serve here at Fellowship Bible Church. Let's have a word of prayer and then a closing song. Father, thank you for your encouraging words today. And this church that was on fire for you and an example for us. Father, help us to understand our foundation. Our format. Help us to be faithful in our fellowship. Father, help us to truly put you first and to turn to you and away from idols and to serve you. Thank you for your patience and your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.